Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. And just before we hit the record button, we were having a discussion about Iowa and Michigan playing in the Big Ten Championship game. And then Andy mentioned that this would be somewhat of a source of tension for he and his wife, hmm. being Andy being an Iowa fan, she being a Michigan fan. Oh, yeah. And I thought this would be a great opportunity for you to give your public service announcement oh, about how your right. wife is, in fact, not a troll. Yes. Okay, so I need to come back on this one. So when I found out, <laughs> Tim and Charlie are laughing. So in Tim class, didn't know what we were doing at first, <laughs> and then... And then he, then he realized what we're doing. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I said that my wife was a troll because people who are from the lower, like the normal Michigan part of the state, the Mitten, are called by the people in the Upper Peninsula. They're called trolls because they are under the Mackinac Bridge. And people in the Mitten call people in the Upper Peninsula, which is also the acronym is UP, they call them UPERS. And I had thought, like, when I ever, whenever I meet a youper and I call them a youper, they're never, ever offended. And then when people talk about trolls, I've known other Michigan people who take the name troll proudly. And so I just assumed it was like a normal thing. Talk to my wife. Found out, oh, no, no, no. You do, she does not. So troll is like a, 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 I should have caught this, but it's. I had your back, Robin. You, yes. As soon as he said it, I said, yep. <clears throat> are you okay calling your wife a troll? And I, I knew in the back of my mind. <laughs> I'm like, this doesn't sit well, but yeah. anyway. So she, so this is the thing. I said this to her and she is like laughing and saying, no, that is not a compliment. We do not like that name. <clears throat> and so I said, oh, well, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that. Uh, I said, well, then what, what do you call yourselves? And she's like, Michiganders. And I thought it was funny because that's what a youper would call it. And I said, oh, so you're like the real one? She's like, yes. So she thinks she's the real Michigander. That's where I'm going to leave it. But from the perspective of the, the youpers, they're all just a bunch of trolls. Yep, exactly. So a good, good thing to clear air on that one. Because there's, you know, anyway, anyway. Well, I just talked to David Chambers at lunch. I just ate with him. And he's like, oh, no, I'm a youper. He takes it proudly. He, you know, I just thought this was like a normal thing. So mea culpa, I was wrong. There you go. You heard it here it's first. It's good to have that cleared up before the game next week when, oh, man, I hope Iowa wins. Charlie, do you think we're going to win? I do think we're, here. here's, well, okay. Because Harbaugh, oh, man. Brother, really? Haskins. Did you see Haskins? No, I didn't. Um, We're talking about sports ball yeah, games here? What? Oh, my word. He literally hurdled a guy as he was running. I'm just a I didn't. I didn't watch Iowa-Michigan oh, game. It was good. All of my energies were devoted to wishful thinking to the Minnesota Gophers oh, to okay. beat the Wisconsin Badgers so that the Iowa Hawkeyes could play in the Big Ten Championship game. Big Ten Championship game okay. against the Michigan Trolls. Okay. Ooh, that's good. Yes. That Trollverines. Trollverines. <laughs> Isn't that what it is? It's Iowa, the Wolverines. Iowa and Michigan. It is. Yeah, no. <laughs> yes, Tim. It is Iowa versus yep. Michigan. Yep. Uh, so, like Iowa needed what we can't talk about this. We don't have enough time. Yeah, anyway, we, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's talk about some books. I don't have a good one today. Well, at least I didn't think it was. That so it's good. like the Michigan of books, is what you're saying. <laughs> This is so great. Oh, I see. That's a slam. Okay, I got it. <laughs> All right. So, Sports games. Uh, this is, 
This so is the, the book I, I have is called Soundtracks by John Acuff. And uh, he's a best-selling New York Times author. It's published by Baker Books. So I brought it into the bookstore because it looks pretty. And it was a, a guy thinking, the thinker, on the front. So hold on. So you judge the book by the cover. Yeah, I do a lot of times because guess how people buy them? Oh, touche. So um, Soundtracks by John Acuff. And uh, it's published by a Christian publisher, Baker Books. And so I flapped through it a little bit. And there's like no scripture passages in this thing at all. You guys are ridiculous. And uh, You said you flapped through it. You should assume that we're going to make flapping wing flapping. gestures. I'm flapping right now. My arms are tight. So um, he, this is uh, like a... So how's the book, Tim? It's like a business motivational. That's how they've labeled it as a business motivational book. And you're starting to see more and more of these kinds of books in the Christian publishing where there really isn't anything Christian about it. The closest thing that it might come to being Christian is that they, they would adopt... Um, I shouldn't say that always, but at least a lot of times they'll at least adopt a Christian worldview. Um, but it's basically just general wisdom from the order of creation. They make those observations and then they um, encourage people or guide people or teach people on how to proceed well in life as a result. And that's what this guy is. You know, this book, it kind of reminded me, do you remember how you were critiquing, say, like Doug Wilson's book on pr productivity? Mm-hmm. Productivity, productivity, mm -hmm. and how he was kind of making a biblical case uh, yeah. based upon wealth. Yes. Well, this guy is basically saying, "Hey, be productive as well." It's okay. kind of a productivity book. Interesting. It struck me that way. Huh. But uh, you know, this the subtitle thing is: I discovered how to over how to turn overthinking from a super problem into a superpower. Huh. So Interesting. overthinking, and how people they start thinking and overthinking stuff, and then they end up not doing anything. Because they just keep thinking oh, yeah. about it. So, okay, you finish your thoughts. We then. have talked about I'll, that. I'll give my yeah. thought uh -huh. as I go into my book. So he basically says, hey, quit overthinking things and just do and get going. And so there you go. Go, do it. There's the message of the book. It's not really a biblical basis or biblical support for anything. It's just kind of general wisdom. Now, applying that to maybe a biblical worldview, let's go ahead, throw it out there. You both seem to have some thoughts on it. No, I have a question, though. In the So he says, you don't want to overthink. You just want to do. At some point, you got to do. Does he tell you when you've hit the line of overthinking? No, I didn't catch that. It's just sometimes when he... It gets into like our conversation with Andrew Peterson, where Andrew Peterson, honestly, I think he could have done a little more thinking before he started doing, but you <laughs> learn through the doing. Oh. And I actually would agree with that as a principle. Yeah. That's why I tell some students, listen, you're stuck. You can't get this project done. You can't get this paper written. Well, just start writing, okay? Yep. I don't even care what you write about. You're going to probably delete that whole first paragraph anyway, but you just start writing, and yep. then it starts to come mm -hmm. uh, through it. So um, there's some some truth uh, to what he has to say. That's why I'm saying how it, it is. General kind of wisdom. General wisdom, right, mm -hmm. exactly. But there's no, I didn't find a, a single scripture passage. And I mean, I, I didn't like look at it in great detail, but um, I, I don't, it's not really a Christian title. That's what I'm trying to say. New York Times bestseller, you might as well have had it published just through the HarperCollins Business Publishers branch. There's what I've got. Did you have something to say? I have some thoughts, but I mean, so isn't it, is it worse neutral or better to have the same ideas that you'd find in a worldly secular business book merged into a Christian worldview? 
Or is it, does it do more damage than good? Because you're like smuggling something that's maybe not scriptural through religious guises, or is it neutral? Is it better to think these types of things in a Christian worldview? Yeah, you know, those are really good questions even to contemplate how you make an argument and where your authority lies. And I think authority becomes one of the big issues because what is his authority? Well, it looks like it's a bunch of pro. I'm looking at the back. He's, I mean, thinking fast and slow by Kahneman, uh, Zig Ziglar's in here. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's in the productivity world, right? But I'm, what's but there's authority? no scripture index, right? Mm. There's no. Maybe we'll come. We should maybe come back to that. Hmm. Well, it, simple answer is just that the authority is his experience. Yeah, which, anecdotal. It's anecdotal, and and so this, <clears throat> the authority is not the word of God, and so that's one of the issues. Um, but still, when I'm making an argument, I can make a case based. That is part of an argument. Experience does provide some evidence for this is the way things are, um, but it's not uh, the strongest argument. Well, and just the general idea that older people are wiser. Why? Because they've had more experience. Exactly. Yeah. So there is some some truth to all of that. Um, but basically, the whole book is like, hey, you need to not overthink things and just start doing stuff. And it just struck me as one of those productivity books that accomplishes nothing. Okay, it's like with Doug Wilson, you know, mm-hmm. you're reading a productivity book about somebody who is telling you how to be productive, yep. but they haven't been productive in doing anything except for encouraging people to, to be, be productive. productive. Whereas Wilson's actually <laughs> done something. Man, the recommendations are intriguing. He's got Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, the comedian. He's got Michael Hyatt, who is a leader, businessman, productivity, entre- productivity guy. Jen Hat maker. She has now come out in support yeah. of LGB. Jefferson Betke, who had that like that rappy kind of thing. Oh yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah, like this is really intriguing. So, if I and I mean no, you can't go by So it's not on the goodness scale. You just can't go it's by not on the recommendations, scale. but there's no no theologians it, or so this is even. in the last like six months, I've noticed a change in Christian publishing. And I might connect it even to the uh, social justice conversation and um, the LGBTQ agenda in that the Christian publishers are are becoming more full woke. of junk. Yep. <laughs> I'm not going to say woke, uh, well, even though that, that'd be true, but a lot of them, that, I mean, this is a business book. This isn't a Christian book. So the understanding, like I manage faith bookstore, so what is my philosophy of ministry? I'm a Christian uh, bookseller. And we do have like a classic section and we do have like a, uh, textbooks that we're doing, which are not Christian, but they are um, for specific reasons in our store. But do I carry something like this? Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And it's not Christian. It's a business book. And so I added it to the to return pile. So if you wanted a copy, you need to stop in and get it quick because it's not even on the shelf anymore. It's in the send it back to the publisher because it does not, uh, it does, it is not within our mission as a bookstore. This is basically the early nineties version of the early CCM where they were a contemporary air quote Christian band and then didn't really have anything substantively Christian about it, which was a major critique of that movement. Early. Hmm. Fascinating. Boom. I don't want to read it now. Hmm. So on that note, uh, the number one, I think it's the number one, uh, female leadership public speaker in America. Her name is Mel Robbins. Mm. And she's famous for this like uh, five second thing where it's again, it's like procrastination is overthinking. And when you start getting into that cycle of 
well, what do I need to do? What if it goes wrong? I don't really want to do it. She advocates this like in your mind, say five, four, three, two, one, go, go. and then you go do it. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a bestseller, but it, you know, and there was a podcast where she was talking and she. And one point she's like, oh, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And I'm like, oh, she's a Christian. And then like literally 15 seconds later, she's just like cussing up a storm. Oof. And, um, you know, yeah. so you just, you, you do need to be careful with these types of things because it, it can motivate you to do, you know, the discipleship series coming in season four. Boom. Just because you're motivated doesn't mean you're correctly motivated. Mm -hmm. And just because you're doing doesn't mean you're doing everything correctly. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned for that. Anyway, uh, my book is Adorning the Dark by Andrew Peterson, friend of the podcast, Andrew Peterson. Um, <laughs> That's Charlie's favorite. He's, he's I love saying that. Uh, he gets so, like delightfully like gleeful in his face. I, I finished reading Adorning the Dark. Um, he obviously had the new book come out, God of the Garden, which I'm, uh, give or take, like 38% through. And... Uh, I love I, that. Give or take thirty eight percent. You know, normally people say, oh, "Give or take you know, around twenty five percent." I was going to say give or take like halfway through, and then I was like, "Ah, throw a number on it." But anyway, so uh, I love this. I think so. I like this book because he he is talking practically about how to how to adorn the dark. I would actually say this is more of a thinking methodology of how to create, and he has I again I think very good practical tips of wisdom. For example, there is never going to be an ideal moment. Like yeah. that if you craft the ideal moment, you'll be able to create that's that's a fallacy. It's a lie. You can you can do everything you think you need to do and then you might not be motivated. You might have the quote unquote writer's block, you know, like all that. He's like that that perfect moment doesn't exist. You just have to do it. You have to Right. How do you learn to just do it? You start in your head and you count down five. five four. <laughs> That's what I was going to do. Yeah. That's what I was going to do. <laughs> I think I think there's something to be said for building healthy habits and routines based on your theology. Uh, not because, you know, I think a lot of people want to be productive because they want other people to know that they're productive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. But anyway. the whole principle of just getting and going and just start doing it, what is that then doing? Yeah. Well, it's building I, that godly habit. I think, I think it's the, I, I like, I really like Doug Wilson's thought. You just plot away. Like yep. if you feel called to do this, guess what? You're not called to do something and you have like one or two strokes of genius in special moments. You, you wake up every day, you recognize this is what your calling is and you go till the fields. And you do it, and you do it, and you do it because that's your calling, not because you're you know there's some magic in like go do it, but it's like you you just have to you you plant, you water, and you see growth. And so anyway, um, now now having finished it, I do think it's good. I do think that there is a somewhat you know a group of I think every Christian would benefit from reading it, but I think there's a subset of people who are maybe more gifted, talented, artistically, writing, you know, painting, you know, whatever, th those artistic fields. I think you would maybe really enjoy this. Um, that being said, it's on the goodness scale. I don't really know where to put it. Um, I don't think it's something that I'm going to read 
over and over and over again. I could see myself reading it in a couple of years again, to like renew and re- revive. I do think it has some quality to it that kind of sparks you a little bit. You know, like it, it's, it is a writer. And as you interact with him as a person, his writing style is very personable. And I think that as you read it, promotes the community aspect of creation where he he feels in his book like a person who's encouraging you to keep going. So I think that quality is actually quite good. So I'm maybe like a four on the Thinkling's Goodness scale. I might I like you that. Know, might bump, but I, it, it has a very distinct personal, community, encouraging tone to it that I think is really, really good. So anyway, that's my book. I really like that. I'm I'm only like a third or half of the way through it. <laughs> I'm the thirty eight percent, but I have enjoyed. It is if you're a creative, there's some good stuff in there. There really is, yeah. but it's like niche. So yeah, maybe four. That's where I'm, I struggle with a four. You know, it might be more appropriate as like a three. Yeah, and this is not to say it's just it's very. And yeah. what's the difference between a four and a three, Tim? One is one point higher than the other. That is right. Amen. <laughs> okay. All right, so I'm going to talk about. But I'm not going to talk about the book this week that I finished because I'm not going to talk about it. But I'm going to tell you, I just finished the third book in the Wingfeather Saga. Who it wrote that? It was amazing. Andrew Peterson. Charlie, who is he? He's a friend of the program. He's a friend of the program. <laughs> I'll just say that. So He's an adorner <clears throat> of the dark. Charlie has been warning, not warning me, telling me about book three, I don't know, for months. And so I will just say that I liked... I've really enjoyed all the books. Two was really good. Three was really, really good. Spicy. Oh, it was. It was it just was so many good things and so many unexpected things. And I just can't say, I will say this. He, <laughs> there's just things he does uh, with names. He talked about this in, when we interviewed him. But there's this one name that for multiple times, I mean, he's got like toothy cows and spike buzzards and, or snake buzzards and all these and one of the things he has is the fangs of dang, the fangs of dang, you know, the, it's just, it's so cool. The names, but, um, one of them was a bomb nubble. And so a bomb nubble, I it's like this big thing. And I, anyways, I wasn't paying attention to the descriptions really well. And for the longest time, I'm like, what's a bomb nubble, bomb nubble. I keep thinking, bomb nubble. what is a bomb nubble? And then I said enough that I realized it's an, a bomb nubble. And it just, <laughs> it was like Diagon, Diagon yeah. Alley. I just, oh, his, so many little things like that. I should have caught it sooner, but when it clicked, it was just delightful. Yep. And so, oh, it was I just, get it it, now. yeah, yeah, you're funny. Okay, whatever, Tim. I'm going to give it like, I don't know what I should rate Tim's this Tim's description of Andy reading these books is probably the best <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my life. Like a toddler figuring <laughs> out what butterflies are for the first time. <laughs> it's true. I keep texting these guys. Like the book three, if you listener, when you read book three, you get like almost to the end and there's some big things that happen. And I'm like texting them all caps. It was just, it was really good. Now I'm, I'm a little bummed. Well, I'm not as bummed. So I, my first two books, and this is all audiobook listener because I had the audiobooks. The first two are written or are read by not Andrew Peterson. They're the Oasis audio editions. Those aren't for sale anymore. So the third one's by Peterson, which at first I didn't prefer his narration as much as the other guy. But what I learned that I do like about his better is he has better personification in his audiobooks than the other guy. They're very distinct characters. Poto has much more of a like, like a persona, and so does like Oscar and Reteep and all these guys. It, it was really good. 
Yeah, Oscar's done well. He's I, on the Peterson yeah. audio. Yeah. yeah, I really liked it. So I, I would maybe I don't know if I should rate it over an eight. I, mean, I want to say nine, but I don't know if that's too high. I just it's I, so I, good. I'll say I was I was warned before I read book three that I would not be able to put it down. And it's, yeah, I was reading it. I think I've already said this on the program. I was speaking at a camp. Uh, shout out to Taylor, who I think listens to this. Um, and I was speaking at the camp. I had book three. I, I blazed through it in like two or three days of at that camp. I had a lot of free time. I couldn't put it down. And so I do, I do think it's, it was good. It's in that, again, it has some quality to it. Mm -hmm. And how do you, how do you quantify what that is? I don't know, but it's got something to it. And, And I was, I was moved by the ending. Like I was brought to tears. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was not, I was not expecting that. Yeah. I'm, I, I wasn't either, and it it, it, it can't hits. we can't spoil it, but the ending is really oh, good. You'll so you'll like the you'll like book four too. I can't wait. You might um, need some tissues at the end. So if Tim ever writes a fiction story, which I doubt you ever will. Oh, I plan to. What are you, you talking about? You plan to? Oh yeah. Okay, I want a character. I want some creature called an Orindu. I'm actually working with my children right now and priming the pump. Ooh, this is good. What's an Orindu? Orindu. Orin. We went on family Orindus. vacation. Orindus. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes. Hey, that might yes. happen. That could very likely Drop the happen. H, drop the S. Orindu. Oh, that's good. Orindus. I mean, this is like a separate thing, but. It's so good. You can make it like a like it rhymes with a goose, like an Orindus. I, I started work. Orindus. We play, I play games with my kids. We play this game called Star Wars Legion. And then um, we also play like Star Wars X-Wing. They like Star Wars. Star Wars and Lord of the Wings. They have a Star Wars role-playing game. It's a book. And they have to create a character. Mm-hmm. And it's actually oh. worked very well. Because I've been trying to get them to think through how to write fiction. And they're in classical conversations. And they have to do creative exor- uh, writing exercises all the time. And the book, has actually they actually now have to write a story about a character. Their character in this role-playing game of this Star Wars universe thing. That's cool. interesting. So it's actually working pretty well in leading them and preparing them for writing fiction. I think, I hope, we'll see. So I think the Orangu, you said like it could be like a goose. Yeah. Okay, here we go. In the spirit of the toothy fa- the toothy cow, it's like a goose with fangs and razor sharp talons, and it's the ho- the Orangoose. And it's like a murdering goose. It's okay, listener. I'm the one that's going to be the fiction writer, so I'll be able to create the character. <laughs> and anyway. I actually was thinking about, um, I actually have a couple of fiction works that I've begun and slowly plotting away at. Uh, I thought a, f- a fun character would be, like we have bumblebees. I thought it would be fun to have a, like a tumblebee um, where it's like more like a, but it's a larger animal, like a sheep or a goat, but it's a bumblebee, but it's not. It's like the size of a goat, but it's still a bee or like it goes to flowers and like, you know, pollinates and creates honey, but it's like, it's like a goat, and so they'd be called a tumblebee, and they'd call them a tumblebee because they they are like you know like a bumblebee. They're big and round with tiny little legs, so they're really bad at walking. <laughs> so like a tumblebee. That's beautiful. But uh, yeah, so may, if there's a book someday that has that in it, you know, patent pending. Oh, that's awesome. <clears throat> anyway, herengooses and tumblebees. I tell you. After Song of Songs for Singles, I actually love to write a a romance. Oh. Oh, that's yeah, in the like Wilson Lewis. In the Ma- Wilson oh. Lewis, Lewis, 
Tolkien. Brilliant. So you're going to give us a preview of your episode. Yeah, are we ready for that? Yeah, but before we do, I do want to go back to Adorning the Dark. I forgot to mention. I actually thought he, he's referencing another book, and I can't remember what it's called. I can see the cover. <laughs> It's like Margaret some something. Oh, but she gives oh, she gives yeah. a principle for writing, which is, uh, like take a like if you're describing a scene, imaginatively. So like you're writing, it could be fiction or nonfiction, but you're describing a scene. Which if you're gonna do fiction, you're gonna wor- world build to some sense, like Tolkien. So you're gonna you're gonna you know craft like the mountains and the rivers and the characters. And her, I think it was her advice that Peterson hits on, which I thought was actually really good was take the full picture you're trying to write about. Imagine that like here's this whole big landscape and then draw like a one by one little one inch by one inch box on something. And it's like, just write on only what's in that little box. Like describe what's there for me. And it might be just like the shoulder of someone or like the ear in the earring of someone. Like if it's like a family portrait or something that's in the book. I thought that was actually a really good piece of advice. It's like Hmm. you can, you, you, you can, and that's actually, you know, in the world of psychology and counseling, that's like the common practice to get someone who's overwhelmed to do something is to simplify it down yeah. to like the, the least common denominator. Like what's the smallest step you can take right now? Okay, now take it. And so instead of writing this huge, huge, big thing, just focus on that one little box and write on that. Like focus on that one character, how that character felt in that moment. You know, what what is, the, you know, not what do they look like? What does their face look like? What does their arm look like? You know, anything like that. But but that was pretty good advice. I you like know, it. It uh, sounds a little bit like what... Middle Earth wasn't built in a day. Or There's a phrase like that, I think. So. Wasn't it... Was it Lewis that started with a picture? Yes. And then wrote a story about the picture. Yeah, yeah he, he started with the... Uh, was it the, um, the fawn... Yep. Yeah, it, yeah, by the lamppost. And then this. With Mr. Tumnus. Yep. So I've actually told my sons that. And the one is the artist. And he started drawing pictures. And I'm like, good. Now draw a story about it. Describe that in yeah, words. In words, exactly. What's going on around it? What's yep. So trying to cre- creative writing and then fiction writing and fostering imagination. Oh, we'll see. I will say it is intriguing going off of our conversation from last week. I think we need to argue and, or no, no, wait. What was our conversation last week? No, no, no. We recorded that for a future episode. Yeah. We we, will have a We had a conversation last week. You guys haven't heard it yet. It's good. Continue. But I would just say that culture (laughs) knows something about the power of fiction and the power of these sorts of art, these forms of art, and that they are very powerful. And I would say that it is not the main way I think the Christian is called to respond culturally. But I think it's a good thing when Christians produce good, produce good art that values what the Bible values and succeed and is, is quality, it's beautiful and good and true. I think that's a good thing culturally. So I think it's good for our listeners to hear that like if you're artistic and you're you're creative, like take that and steward that for the glory of God. I tell my students in Western Civ and on other classes all the time, like if you like to write, get good at it. And that's for the what's glory inter- of God. That's what's interesting about it too is you can have a good story in the sense of the story is a, is told well and it it brings you into it it captures your imagination in that sense that's not good yep with truth yep like it could exalt something that's wrong 
but it is good art. We talked about this with Dr. Boyd. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And that's why we need good stories, mm -hmm. artistically good, from Christians who know what's true. Be, you know, there because th there is a power in a story, whether it's true or not. Yep. And don't you want some good stories that teach truth? Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I, can't, I can't remember who, it was probably Tolkien, you know, kids are going to see evil in all of their lives. They, you know, you might want them to know what knights and bravery and yep. courage is. Yep. You know, and you know, you might want someone to know what hope and love are and get, our world's not going to write stories generally that exalt those types of things. Th those things do belong to the Christian. Like they belong to everybody, but they're ours because they're from Christ, you know? So like we, we do need Christian. We, we, you know, mm -hmm. Are we theologically uh, the same as Andrew Peterson? No. No, we have some differences. Uh, practically, or with our convictions, probably relating to many personal decisions in our lives, are we carbon copies of Andrew Peterson or any of the other guests we've had on here? No, not even a little bit. Uh, you're going to hear an episode in a few weeks where our guest, uh, David Downing, quips about drinking wine. And I thought it was a hilarious comment. And, you know, but here's the deal. Uh, what what do they get? You know, they 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 do have so much more in common with us mm -hmm. in the, in the realm of story and fiction and imagination than our world does. And yep. I think we can celebrate that unity in Christendom. You know, and you know, and from our unique corner of Christendom, maybe we can exalt what is the true gospel, and uh, you know, hopefully, you know, good healthy theology too. But anyway. Man, that, that developed into a conversation. That was wonderful. How about we preview what's in the episode? Preview what's in the episode. Let's see here. So this is about becoming Lady Wisdom. This is part three of the Lady Wisdom series. I'm working through Song of Songs. Uh, I think it's just chapter three. And uh, the correlation with Dame Folly in Proverbs chapter seven. So uh, if you want to really just dive into the Word of God, I'd encourage you to study through these women in the wisdom literature, Proverbs chapters 2 through 9 uh, with Lady Wisdom, Dame Folly, then the Song of Songs, uh, the, the female lover, the wife, in Song of Songs chapter 3, chapter 5, um, chapter 7. I mean, it builds chapters 5 through 7 and even into the beginning of 8. It's kind of one big long section. And of course, you know, hopefully in a year or so I'll have my book ready and you can read some more about it there. So enjoy. And if you have questions, shoot us an email. What's our email, Tim? Uh, it's on the front page of our website. It listener. is on the front page of our and website. And it's at the end of every single episode. Thinklingspod at gmail.com. Isn't that podcast. it? Podcast. <sighs> podcast. We actually, close. we do have thinklingspod at gmail.com also, but I never look at it. So thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can Facebook message us. You can Instagram message us. You can even tweet at us. Yeah, carrier pigeons too, as long as you know where our, our roof's address is. I mean, feel free to drop carrying that. Carrion pigeons? Carrier <laughs> pigeons. Well, oh. if they're dead, then they're carrion okay. pigeons. Anyway. <laughs> That was good. Feed him to the horn goose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> horn goose. Let's have a conversation about Lady Wisdom again. 
So uh, we've had two episodes already where we walked through the correspondence between this woman in Proverbs 1 through 9, and then correspondences with this woman in Proverbs 31. We connected her also to the woman of Ruth, uh, the story of Ruth. She is the virtuous woman, the excellent wife, the woman of Chayil. Um, and then the, this woman is uh, Lady Wisdom, is a composite character. And, and I have modified my view a little bit here. I no longer believe that Lady Wisdom is a composite character. I believe that the excellent woman is a, the composite character. Lady Wisdom represents the complete order of creation. She's a woman, she's a lady, because she represents the most difficult and the uh, the most difficult to acquire part of the order of creation, uh, a woman, and the most important part of living according to the order of creation, a woman. Uh, because if you marry the wrong woman, if you marry a Dame Folly, there'll be such a dissidence create, created in your life that you won't be able to live according to the way that God ordered the world. So Lady Wisdom is a lady and and is a real woman, or at least a portion of the order of creation is a real woman, um, for this very reason, representing the order of the world, the order of creation. So then you have the excellent woman, the woman of Chayil in Proverbs 31, Ruth, and that corresponds also to Ecclesiastes 7, and this was the second discussion we had, where in Ecclesiastes 7, Solomon is looking for a woman, he's looking for the excellent wife, um, the woman of Chayil, He's looking for Lady Wisdom as a real woman, and he marries a thousand girls, and they're all Dame Folly. Then we went to the Book of Song of Songs, and we discussed how Solomon was led astray, and he valued the wrong things in a woman. Uh, he failed to tend his own vineyard and to cultivate uh, a woman of virtue, and as a result, he never married. He never found the woman of Chayil, the virtuous woman. He never found Lady Wisdom, he never lived according to the way God made the world um, because he failed to marry the right girl. All right, so now in this last episode, that's all background, so if you're like, oh, I want to get some more information on that, go back to those previous episodes and you could listen a little bit more. Now in this last episode, it's talking. I want to talk about becoming Lady Wisdom. In the Book of Song of Songs, uh, the Book of Song of Songs as a whole, it is primarily written to young ladies to teach them uh, what God's Word has to say about matters of love, marriage, intimacy. And within the Book of Song of Songs, there are several exhortations through the woman uh, to young ladies. And uh, I ended last time in, with uh, Song of Songs chapter 2, in verse 15, where it says, Seize us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. Uh, this is an exhortation to the man. He needs to maintain the vineyard and take care of the problems in the relationship. Interestingly, that verb to seize the foxes, seize the jackals, uh, is found again in just a few verses. In Song of Songs chapter 3, in verse 4, it says, Scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love, I seized him and would not let him go. And this verb to seize, to grasp onto this young man, is actually also corresponds to the book of Proverbs, specifically Proverbs chapter 7 where there's another, uh, another woman, a bad woman, who is seizing a young man. Back in Proverbs, chap Proverbs chapter 7, in verse, um, well, let's just begin at verse 7. 
the father's watching, and he states, I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him. The word there for caught him is to seize him. It is the same verb that's found in Song of Songs chapter 2, verse 15, seize the jackals, and the same verb found in Song of Songs chapter 3 and verse 4, seize uh, the, the, the woman seized the young man. So she seized him and kissed him, and with an impudent face she said to him, and then she goes on to her speech, and she flatters him and seduces him, and then destroys him. Within the um, book of Proverbs, you have these two women. You have Lady Wisdom, and you have Dame Folly. They are at war with one another. And this idea that these two ladies are at war with one another provides the backdrop and helps us to understand um, a biblical theology of femininity and intimacy from the Song of Songs, and it provides even instruction for single marriageable girls and older women as well, of course. This is the order of creation, the way that God made the world, and the responsibility of, or responsibility, or maybe the, the, uh, the goal of uh, the excellent wife is to build up her house. Well, how does she go about doing that? We learn about another way that she goes about doing that from Proverbs 7 and Song of Songs, chapter 3. In Proverbs 7, in verse 4, um, the father says, Say to wisdom, you are my sister. It's kind of an odd word, sister, but it's actually a term of endearment. And we see that terminology, sister, in the Song of Songs. She, he is essentially saying, tell wisdom, you are my wife, and call understanding your nearest kin. This is in Proverbs 7, verse 4. In verse 5, it says that they may keep you from the immoral woman. So wisdom as sister, wisdom as wife, is, is one that will help keep the young man from the immoral woman, um, from the seductress who flatters with her words. In Song of Songs chapter 3, we have a similar setting to Proverbs chapter 7. And you see these two women... Um, vying for the affections of the young man in Song 3, and actually in Song of Songs chapter 5. In Song of Songs chapter 3, the setting is at night. In, song, uh, in Proverbs 7, it's also at night. Both places, it's at night. I'm going to read Song 3, 1 through 4. By night on my bed, I sought the one I love. This is the wife. She seeks the one I love. She says, I sought him, but I did not find him. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city, in the streets, and in the squares. I will seek the one that I love. So interesting descriptions in Song of Songs, chapter 3. She's at night, and she's in the streets and the open squares. In Proverbs chapter 7, in verse 8, passing along the street near her corner, he took the path to her house. This youth, this young man, this naive one, where is he? He's in the streets, and he's in the open squares. You see, the setting of Song 3 and Proverbs 7 is actually the same setting. But we have two different women acting very similar. similarly. They both seize the young man. They both haul him off to the house, one to the house of life and the other to the house of death. 
So I'm going to continue reading in song three. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. In verse three, the watchmen who go about the city found me. Now, who are these watchmen? They're the ones that are the the ones that say, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. You know, when the wicked are there, what do the watchmen do? Well, they punish them. When somebody evil is trying to damage the city, the watchmen stop them. And so what do the watchmen do? What is this woman doing? Is she doing what's right or is she doing what's wrong? Well, she's doing what's right. She's building up her house. She's taking care of her husband. She's loving him selflessly and sacrificially. And so in verse 3, what do the watchmen do? I'm going to read it. Song 3, verse 3. The watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, have you seen the one I love? And then verse 4, scarcely had I passed them by. See, she just passes by the watchman because is she doing something wrong? No, she's doing something right. And so the watchmen are there to enforce what's wrong. There's nothing wrong. So boom, they're gone. And then she proceeds and then she does find the one whom she loves. Now, the question that's asked, been asked to me, um, even as I've taught this section and even as I've, I've thought through it myself first, is that there's, it's interesting that she is in this place. She is in the streets. She is searching for her husband who is also in those streets. And there's something that always bugged me because it implies that he is also in the streets at night in the city where that other girl is. And that was something that kind of bothered me, but I was just like, I don't want to read something into the passage that's not truly there. Uh, and so I've kind of just passed by that. And I've been, and I've, I've taught this and, and explained that, you know, we have this perception of the Proverbs 7 woman as being a bad woman because she is Dame Folly. She is bad. Okay. And so we have this perception is don't be like that girl. Well, that's true. Don't be like Dame Folly. Okay. But that's kind of bled into our female perception of, of sexuality and intimacy. It's like, don't be like that girl. But actually what you see in Song of Songs chapter three is that there is a place to be like that girl towards your lover, towards the one whom you have covenantally sworn to love and cherish for the rest of your life. So that's how I've taught this in the past. And there is some uh, value to that message. I think that is a legitimate message from this text. But the bigger point, I think, actually comes uh, to what the excellent wife does. In Proverbs 31, what does she do? She builds up her house. And in, Proverbs, in Song of Songs chapter 3, what do we see this woman doing? She's building up her house. In fact, she's doing it in such a way that she's preventing somebody else, her husband, from tearing it down. So why is he out there at night in the open squares? And why isn't he at home with his wife? He's not where he should be. So what does then the woman of Chayil, who builds up her house, what does she do? She goes and gets him and seizes him. Even when he is not at his best, she goes and she loves him, and she brings him back to bed, to the bed of life, to prevent him from going to the bed of death. In Song of Songs chapter 3, verse 4, it states, scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love, I seized him and would not let him go. You see that description? It's like he is literally going to have to peel her 
off of him, right? She is like latched herself onto him. She's going to refuse to let him destroy himself, destroy their house. She's literally building up her house. And then what does she do in verse 4? Until I brought him, this is the text, this is the Bible, until I had brought him to the house of my mother. An odd description for us. Why we have the house of my mother? And then the next line, it states, and into the chamber of her who conceived me. It's a complete contrast to Dame Folly. Where does Dame Folly take the young man? To the house that is the way to hell, to Sheol. That's Proverbs 7.27. Dame Folly, she has the house that's the way to, to hell, to Sheol, to death. And then the next line of Proverbs 7.27, descending to the chambers of death. There is a clear contrast between the Dame Folly of Proverbs 7.27 and the woman of Chayil, the excellent wife, in, Pro- in Song of Songs, chapter 3, and verse 4. She seizes him. She does not let him go. She hauls him back to the chamber of life. Mother. It's the mother because it's this, this generational life-giving capacity that the woman of Chayil offers the young man, in complete contrast to the life, uh, uh, to the house of death and the chambers of, of uh, hell that the the, uh, Dame Folly offers. It says, into the chamber of her who conceived me. It's conception because this is the place where life is actually created. Here you have the woman of virtue offering life-giving sustenance and reminding her husband, this is the, the source of life. I am your source of life. Stay away from that woman who is the source of death. Now, some people might not really like this message, and I recognize that it can be a pretty cross, cross, anti-cultural message. Um, but I, I see the support from this text as being the prescriptive of how to live life in a fallen, sin-cursed world where one person is married, where we're each married to sinners. And in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8, through chapter 3, verse 5, you have these two verbs of seizing Chapter 2, verse 15, what's the young man supposed to do? Catch the foxes, seize the the jackals, because these jackals, they like destroy the vineyard, they corrupt it, they make a mess of it, they destroy everything, and they'll absolutely destroy the intimacy that God designed for a married couple in Song 2, 15. So I'm going to reiterate that message. Men, what do you need to do? You need to talk to your wife. What are the jackals in our relationship? Let's work on those and Let's enjoy intimacy the way that God designed it. But sometimes, you know what? Yeah, he's not really in a good position to seize the jackals. And sometimes what might be the life-giving, house-building thing that you may need to do is to seize him. And so you have that tension within the song. Both man and woman need to selflessly and sacrificially serve one another, whatever that looks like, whether it includes intimacy or doesn't include intimacy. But what you need to do is selflessly and sacrificially serve your spouse. Now, you don't do that so then you get something out of it. You do that because you love them. And that's how I want to kind of maybe wrap this section up, is this whole idea of love. And what what is love? How do we think through 
love. In Song of Songs, chapter 3, 1 through 4, we have a love that our world calls folly, but it's actually a love that's like a, a Jesus kind of a love, okay? Because what's going to drive a woman to do, to pull herself out of bed and to go do that kind of a thing, to go after him even when he's not at his best? The description four times in Song 3, 1 through 4, I'm going to read the first verse again. By night on my bed, I sought the one I love. The word that's used there is actually the one whom my soul loves. It's a very emphatic phrase. It's not found anywhere else in the song. Throughout the song, usually he's called, the woman calls her husband, my lover, which is you know, an intimate kind of a reference. He's, he's not called, being called my lover here. Right? He, she's calling him the one whom my soul loves. I'd like you to reflect, what does it mean that a soul loves? Okay, this is a much deeper love than my lover loves me, okay? Back in song 1, 5 through 2, 7, you know, we had a lot of my lover this and my lover that kind of language, and it's a, a very different kind of um, flavor. But in this section, it's not my lover, it's the one whom my soul loves, because true Jesus kind of love is what's going to be needed to actually propel somebody to do this kind of a thing. It's a soulish kind of love. The excellent wife's life, it's covenantly woven together with his life. And you have a play on words with this whole idea of life. Dame Folly's trying to steal away his life. Her life, my life loves this man so that it compels her to do what's completely illogical. When the covenanted couple, in verse 4, weaves their lives together, they may even literally create a life. So there's this whole idea of life as being the driving force that compels a spouse to do the, the foolish, what is foolish. And I would encourage you to think through, especially if you are single, what is love? How do you really understand love? This unconditional, selfless, sacrificial, take up your cross and follow me kind of Jesus love. That's what you have here in this text. And that's how you are supposed to love your spouse. It doesn't matter if they're going to sin against you, okay? I don't care what how, what problems she has with this, that, or whatever else. You love her. So you selflessly, sacrificially, with a servant's heart, regardless of there's any reciprocation, you take up your cross, you follow Jesus, and you love your wife. Similarly, there's no strings attached to this unconditional, biblical, soulish kind of love. Um, you, you don't care how that person has sinned against you. You're going to you're going to build up your house. You're responsible for your covenantal oath, for your covenantal, uh, um, uh, that, the covenantal vow that you swore on your wedding day. And so you have this true servant-hearted, self-sacrificing, take up your cross and follow me kind of love for the one whom your soul loves. This is love. And I would encourage you, if that love has kind of died, awaken it again. Awaken it again, that love for your lover. You're like, I don't know how to do that. Well, that's a different message. That's a different uh, podcast. Might talk about that again someday.
But I'm just going to end with the cha- with the charge in song 3, 5. The very next verse after verses 1 through 4. What do we have? But I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. In this setting of a difficult love, a hard love, a take up your cross and follow me kind of love, the woman exhorts the young ladies, hey, guess what? Don't awaken love. Why is it that she says that, especially at this point in the song? Well, I think she's teaching them a couple of things. One, it might be like, I can't control this. and (laughs) You have to learn to control it because this is the real kind of love. And this isn't something that just spontaneously arises and comes from wherever within you. It's something that only a God who's loved empowers you to do. The God who loves you empowers you to love. So what is, and then what is this love? This love is much more than just a physical affection. It's something that's emotional, that's strong and powerful, and it's deep. And it's reserved for just one, one whom you single ladies have not yet covenanted to love. So what is she saying? Don't stir it up. Don't awaken this kind of love. And that's my exhortation. Love, unconditionally, biblically soulishly. Take up your cross and follow me, a Jesus kind of love. That's how we love. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.